the assassination of JFK and the Federal Reserve. Let's look at some excerpts from my book, Surviving the Deep State, by Muir Taylor, my pen name, available on Amazon. Nearly a century after Lincoln was assassinated for issuing greenbacks, President John F. Kennedy found himself in the same crosshairs. Kennedy had announced his opposition to offshore tax havens and proposed eliminating the depletion allowance for large oil companies. Kennedy's economic policies were publicly attacked by Fortune magazine, the Wall Street Journal, and the New World Order spokespeople. Even Treasury Secretary Douglas Dillon voiced opposition to the JFK proposals. Kennedy's time on Earth was sealed due to these decisions in June 1963 when he authorized the issuance of more than $4 billion in United States notes by his Treasury Department. This was in direct contradiction to the practices of the private Federal Reserve International Banking Cartel. Lee Harvey Oswald was conveniently gunned down by Jack Ruby. Ruby himself died from a fast-growing cancer he had strangely contacted while in jail. An insider told author A.J. Weberman in 1994, The answer to the Kennedy assassination is with the Federal Reserve Bank. Don't underestimate that. It's wrong to blame it on Angleton and the CIA per se only. There's only one finger on the same hand. The people who supply the money are above the CIA. Now, U.S. citizens ever since were terrorized into silence. If they could kill the president, they could kill anyone. This brotherhood I have just described controls every aspect of the global economic network. This includes certain major international banks and insurers, as well as indirectly controlling the media, the key intelligence agencies, and thus the government. The one exception, they do not control Trump. That is why you witnessed one of the most amazing intel battles of the century when he was president that was waged against him. Their activities are coordinated through the secret societies, and one of the most important vehicles is the City of London House of Windsor operation called the Club of the Isles. It was named after King Edward VII, Queen Victoria's son, who was the first to carry the title Prince of the Isles. The title is held today by Prince Charles. This very same group developed the so-called Trump dossier. It was bought lock, stock, and barrel by a variety of Washington people, including some of those in Congress and the Senate. The last several years have proven these people are in the same class as the village idiots of old. A total lack of critical thinking is their brand and identifying feature. Let's look briefly at the so-called dossier, and then we'll go down the rabbit hole and look at the private Federal Reserve. Here we go now. President Trump has implied that he believes that FBI Director Comey attempted to use a dossier that was non-factual in basis and imaginary in scope about his, quote, ties to Russia to keep his job as director. This analysis proves the deep state the New World Order is controlling, and it shows how they think and operate. This dossier contains numerous allegations that Trump was involved in a series of sordid activities in Moscow that left him open to blackmail. Trump has stated that Comey pulled him aside after a certain meeting and informed him of the dossier. Obviously, President Trump interpreted this as threat or leverage. This is really Bush level, as you're about to see. Of course, Trump finally fired Comey. 
He mentioned that the Russia investigation was part of his state of mind when he actually decided to let him go. In other words, inept handling. Trump has frequently called the dossier phony. The Russian dossier is a total and complete fabrication. From the standpoint of an intelligence officer, it makes no sense at all, none whatsoever. When you've spent five years or 20 years in one specialty, you obviously develop a set of instincts about what is real and what is not. That applies if you're a pilot or a college instructor or an intelligence officer. First of all, those within the intel community don't even use the word dossier. Dossier was used to convince the gullible. We just call information files. That's all it is. Then you look at the heading and it says confidential, sensitive source. That heading doesn't even exist. Then it talks about Trump consorting with prostitutes in Moscow. These accusations have no details, no names, and absolutely no source. They just didn't happen. As President Putin of Russia says, this man judges international beauty contest. He doesn't need to associate with this class of people. The who, what, when, why, and where are important in any news story or intelligence briefing, but they don't exist here. The dossier uses the passive voice, which is never used in real intel briefings. It hides the fact there is no substantive information. You'll see fancy words like deniability and plausible deniability in the dossier. Real intelligence work doesn't use these terms. It's the wrong style. Much of the information in the dossier is patently false. Trump associates have no connection to the imagined events. Just one falsehood calls into question the integrity of a report, and this dossier has dozens upon dozens. The writer was a desktop spy at MI6 who now owns a private security firm. Can a foreign government change the results of America's election based on unsupported rumors? The dossier also contains poor grammar and spelling, not the image of what you would expect. It's a bad spy novel. Some American politicians were so taken by the report that they actually sent aides over to London to obtain copies, which could have simply been emailed to them. The dossier claims to report information from anonymous trusted compatriots, knowledgeable sources and ministry officials. Unbelievable spin. None of it makes a lick of sense. When the machinations allegedly started, 2011, no one even knew Trump would eventually run for president. It speaks of million-dollar bribes, which were offered but never paid. Russia doesn't offer this kind of money to anybody. Finally, the report is full of hearsay. I know somebody who heard something. Bizarre and anonymous, what a state of affairs we have reached when even certain U.S. so-called elite are taken in by such fiction. Okay, now we'll move to another area. We'll look at an Alice in Wonderland situation, the creature from Jekyll Island. The widely accepted view of history that we are taught as children is that the Federal Reserve was created to stabilize our economy. Even the most naive, however, must wonder. Since its inception, we have witnessed the crashes of 1921 and 1929, the Great Depression of 1929 to 1939, recessions in 1953, 1957, 1969, 1975, and 1981, Black Monday in 1987, and 1,000% inflation in the last 100 years, which has destroyed 90% of the dollar's purchasing power. The Federal Reserve is about as federal as Federal Express. It is owned by a consortium of international banks. 
From its history, it obviously is unable and incapable of achieving its stated objectives. But why is this still preserved? The direct answer is that economic stabilization was in reality never one of its real objectives. It is a cartel with a government facade, and every time there is a conflict between public need and the cartel's goals, the public is sacrificed on the altar. That's the way cartels work. The plan for the so-called Federal Reserve was drafted at a secret meeting in November of 1910 at a private resort owned by J.P. Morgan off the coast of Georgia on Jekyll Island. There the cartel obtained a franchise to create money out of nothing and charge interest on it. That's a nice arrangement, isn't it? Currency drains, inflation, and bank runs would be paid for by the public. In a nutshell, that was the deal. The purpose of the Jekyll Island meeting was to maximize profits to insiders. It was attended by an elite group of insiders. That's the secret of this strange journey. The structure was pure cartel. It's a classic example, a group of independent bankers who decide to coordinate, how to eliminate competition, and share insider profits. The tool is a shared monopoly over their industry, money. So the Federal Reserve was created. It is not federal and there are no reserves. Six men representing one-fourth of the wealth of the world at that time secretly entered a private railroad car in New Jersey and began their journey to Jekyll Island. They had been instructed to arrive separately to avoid reporters and to make believe that they didn't know each other. On the train they used first names only. Their porters and servants didn't know their names. This 800-mile journey took them to Atlanta, Savannah, and then to Brunswick, Georgia, a small fishing village. From the dock there, they shortly arrived at the remote island lodge of Jekyll Island. The evidence says this was a planned conspiracy. These events were not the blind forces of nature or history. The accidental theory of history is just that, a blank page. Okay, the key to understanding our fiat money system is to understand the metal known as gold. First, some history. The main reason that metals were used in the past as commodity money is that they meet all of the requirements. They can be conveniently traded. They're not perishable. They can be divided into smaller units. They can be precisely measured. The monetary unit of a currency should be measurable and constant. Since metals are subject to assay in weight and purity, they are perfectly suited for this purpose. An ingot of metal is either 99% pure or it is not. The Federal Reserve now claims it can stabilize prices. Of course, any sane person knows that if this is its main purpose, it is a complete and total failure. But the beauty of the gold standard is that prices become automatically stable. The free market does its job. Let's compare gold to Federal Reserve notes. Now, the notes are highly ornamental. They have seals and signatures. The government pays its expenses with them. The population, of course, is forced to accept them. They can be produced in limitless quantities, yet they cost absolutely nothing to make. They're backed by nothing. Warlords of seven centuries ago used similar fiat money to fund their empires. The American Continental Army used certificates to fund its supplies and payroll cost. In 1775, the money supply was 12 million. The following five years saw an increase of 425 million, over 3,500 percent. The states followed their lead, and by 1779, the money supply had expanded by 5,000 percent. Inflation self-destructed the process almost immediately. In 1775, paper continentals were traded one dollar in gold. In 1777, they were traded for a quarter. By 1779, they were worth less than a penny. You've heard the phrase, not worth a continental. 
Shoes were selling for $5,000 a pair, and a suit of clothes cost $1 million. George Washington wrote, A wagon load of money will scarcely purchase a wagon load of provisions. Does this sound familiar? In the last hundred years, the dollar has lost more than 90% of its value. It's happened through inflation, the hidden tax. Fiat money is paper money without precious metal backing. Politicians can increase spending without raising taxes. It's the cause, of course, of inflation. Wall Street, at the turn of the last century, the internationalist bankers wanted a lender of last resort that could create unlimited amounts of fiat money. Thus, the cartel, the Federal Reserve System, was born. They didn't call it a central bank, which it was. It had to sound like a government operation. The word reserve was chosen to make it sound fiscally responsible. The word system helped avoid any reference to a central bank. The 12 regional branches were used as a cover to make it appear decentralized, but in effect it operates exactly as a central bank, modeled after the Bank of England. All of this high-level showmanship created a very dangerous central bank owned and controlled by an international cartel. The public became a victim of deception. Even small banks today are brought under its rulership. Amazingly, of course, you have the ancient form of partnership between political scientists and private international bankers. Their responsibility is deliberately vague. They divide power behind closed doors. They have no accountability. It's a pretense on its face. You must fully understand how the system operates before you can pr completely protect yourself. One of the most complete works about the secret organizations that are behind the scenes is Tragedy and Hope by Dr. Carol Quigley. He was a professor at Georgetown University. Bill Clinton was one of his students. Dr. Quigley was not an average academic. He had been associated with the dynasties of the super-rich in Europe and America. He was the consummate insider. His 1,300-page book about history was not for the masses. It was for the elite, for the intellectuals. In his book, he exposes the greatest secret of our time. Strangely, he supported their goals, but absolutely exposed them as well. Dr. Quigley reported that in 1971, he was informed that the publisher of his book, only 2,000 copies went out, had destroyed the plates. The rare book price went into the hundreds of dollars range. He believes tragedy and hope was suppressed. Why would men in power want to suppress this book? Probably for one reason. Dr. Quigley had described their goals as, quote, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences." End of quote. In other words, each central bank, whether it be the Bank of England, the Bank of France, the Federal Reserve, and so forth, would, through the hands of men, dominate their respective governments by their ability to control treasury loans, foreign exchanges, and other measures. This, of course, is what they don't want you to know. Quigley calls this group a network. The network is directed by a secret society. Members are in key positions. The secret society is called the Roundtable Groups. These come in many names. The Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers, similar groups in London, at the center you have complete control. They are built from the center out with the people at the outmost rings having very little real knowledge at all. To paraphrase Henry Ford, those who oppose their goals and threaten to expose the inner workings of this group are faced with unexpected scandals, investigations, even possible impeachment. Does this sound familiar? 
They generally place bets on all horses, but when one arrives in power totally from the left field, beholden to no one, then suddenly their media and their power plays emerge from every direction. Thomas Jefferson said, experience has shown that even under the best forms of government, those entrusted with power have in time and by slow operations perverted it into tyranny. This and much more can be found in my book on Amazon, Surviving the Deep State by Muir Taylor. You can understand everything that is happening if you read and study this book. You can protect yourself. This is Gerald Eastwood, the consummate insider speaking. Keep in mind, as the Navy SEALs say, the only easy day was yesterday. Godspeed and good night for now.